0: Welcome back to Too Much Too Loud, this time with just me, Karen, not with Siriana, so sad. Um, But we're trying something where we do some solo episodes. And so this is my solo episode. And I, as the title suggests, am talking all about the home buying process and what went into my uh, purchase of a house. And I'm really excited to talk about that today. And to really just like demystify the process and talk through kind of how I and my partner knew that we were ready to buy the house, talk through all the numbers as well, because I think that oftentimes when people are talking about money, it's, for one, it's like a weird taboo thing to ever mention money, which I think is silly. And also people can sometimes can be very like about um, their financial situation when it comes to buying a house. And I think it's it, it's silly, right? So let's talk about it. And I personally love people airing out their finances, and I shall do it too. <laughs> um, but before we do, let's do a quick pocket of joy. So for me, I think the biggest pocket of joy this week has been that I was able to sleep well last night. Kind of all week, I've been sleeping pretty terribly John and I are very close to our wedding date and if you've had a wedding or you know anyone who has had a wedding you know that the last month is extremely stressful (laughs) there's just so many little details and I've been stressing out a little bit so sleep has been on the back burner and has been harder (laughs) to get for me so I'm just very happy that last night I prioritized sleep went to bed early. And am up early on Friday feeling great. So yay for that one. And yeah, let's just launch into it. I guess for like an overview of how the episode will go, I will start by talking about where we were when we came to the um, conclusion that we wanted to buy a house and um, what the money looked like that we had, how we found their realtor, our financial um, like broker person or our lender and the houses and the categories that we're looking into and just some of my like overall thoughts about the home buying process. And I'll try to to talk about um, some of the terms that came up. I just want to like disclaim that I am not a realtor. I'm not a real estate agent. So I might get some of this wrong. <laughs> um, so take it with a grain of salt, but I'll try my hardest to to talk about it. (laughs) So, so to begin where we were, I guess, mindset wise when it came to buying a house. So in 2021 at the very, basically like a year ago, um, in August, I and John were getting ready to move to Ecuador. So if you don't know, I am a PhD student and my research is based in Ecuador. And I have, I did a whole episode on my old podcast about traveling during COVID. And basically I was supposed to be in Ecuador all of 2020. And then of course had to get sent back. Um, and so my field work was delayed a year. And so I was going back in 2021 and John this time was coming with me, John being my fiance in case you're new here. (laughs) Um, and so we're in Ecuador and we're supposed to be there for a year, but we actually ended up being there for, uh, basically six months. And because of that, we came back from Ecuador And we had this weird gap from like the six months, basically that we weren't there. (laughs) And we knew, you know, living in Ecuador is so, so much more affordable than living in the United States. Like for us, when we were there, we could have, I don't know, like our, probably the most expensive rent that we had. And this is in Quito, the capital city, was around $500 for like a full apartment, you know, one-bedroom apartment with washer and dryer, all the kind of amenities that you would need, um, in a really great part of Ecuador. So that was like the most expensive, and then on the cheaper end, sometimes we would be able to stay places similar, um, you know, amenities, maybe a little bit less for like, I don't know, a hundred to two hundred dollars a month. Like, so it was it was just a luxury basically being able to afford. So much more space or afford the same amount of space that we had in the states for so much more money so our money just traveled way further in ecuador um and then coming back when we're getting ready to come back to the states we were like how does one go from paying you know 500 tops for a month for rent to then shelling out, you know, I don't even know, like $1,600 a month or $1,800 a month in rent in the States. Like, it just felt really awful to even think about having to do that. And so we're really fortunate enough that John's parents actually were like, hey, you can stay with us if you want until you find a place to stay. So we were like, yes. (laughs) And through this process as well, I just want to note that I'll mention times and places where we were very privileged in the home buying process. And I think this is a very important one to mention because this is how we were able to save so much money is that John and I were able to stay somewhere rent-free for four months, which is something that some people aren't able to afford to do or have the luxury of even doing. Um, so I just feel really lucky that we were able to do that. And you know, of course, you're staying with your in-laws for four months, it's not easy, <laughs> at, you know, Um, all the time, but it is a privilege and I'm so lucky that we were able to. So coming back, we were staying with John's parents, John just got a new job and I um, actually also got another job. So on top of being a PhD student, I got a job as um, a market research um, analyst sort of for this PR company. And also I will note too, at this point, so basically, when I was supposed to be in Ecuador for 2020, I had, you know, all of my money saved to do the year. So I had all my money for a year saved. Because it didn't happen, I had to come back to the States and I spent most of that money living in 2020. And then when I was preparing to move to um, Ecuador again in 2021, Basically grad school when it comes to finances it is very precarious, especially for field work because if you know if, if you have to do field work, it's really up to you, the person who has to do it to find the money, right? So and that means applying to so many grants. And so basically all of um, 2020, for me, I was mentally preparing to go back to Ecuador and securing money for, for the first time around, it was really, really hard because I wasn't able to get a lot of these really large grants. So I had to do a lot of um, piecing together different things. And so for all of 2020, I was like, okay, I know that this is a very tricky, precarious process. Let me prepare myself. So um, I worked my ass off in 2020 and took on extra work so that I could save as much as possible to then go back in 2021. And right before I was supposed to go to Ecuador, actually, it was like weeks before in August of 2021, or maybe even um, the month prior, I received a large grant for my leadership and DE&I work on campus and um, in my research in my community, basically. And that grant was $33,000, which I mean, as a salary might sound low to some people, but for a graduate student who makes my, my highest income as a graduate student was, you know, is probably around like $20,000 after taxes. So as someone who makes 20,000 usually a year, 33 is, is a lot of money. And so because of that, I had already saved so much for Ecuador that I had money for the year and then I was receiving a grant. Um, on top of that. So I knew that right away, I was not going to touch that grant at all unless I needed to. And I would still just live on the Ecuador money. Basically, I just didn't want to touch it at all because also I have, I have loans. I want to I make sure that I was having money later on to pay for my loan. So then back in the States, John and I lived in his parents' house. I take on another job. Um, and cause also the reason why I took on another job when I came back from Ecuador, um, and, you know, came back early from Ecuador is because I didn't want what happened last time where I came back early and I had to live on all of my savings basically for that year. I didn't want that to happen again. So I was like, I'm not going to touch any of this money that I got from this grant that I'm putting into savings. I'm going to just get another job, work that for the foreseeable future and live on that. And especially since, you know, we... A living at John's parents' house, we have very, very minimal expenses. I can I can do that. So that helped incredibly. And so I think as well because, you know, John and I, when we were living at his parents' house, we're getting a little antsy because for one, we were living in the suburbs and, and for me it was living in very, very white suburbs. And I, I mentioned this in another podcast that me and Siriana did about whiteness and just how you know, when it comes to picking places that you live, for me, a priority is seeking out diverse places. So living in the suburbs in Minnesota is not diverse, right? And it was hard to live there um, for that reason is that I would go into town, you know, I would go to the local Target or whatever you do at in suburbs, and I would see maybe one other black person, maybe two people of color, so it was just hard. And I missed being in a more diverse city basically. And so we were thinking about, okay, let's let's prepare to look into renting a place because we wanted to also have more space because John's new job that he just got was work from home. And as a graduate student, I also am able to work from home. So we knew that we, if we wanted to work from home, um, we both would need to have you know, more space, an extra bedroom would be really nice for one of that to be an office and then having another office in our own bedroom. So we're looking into um, rentals and we're finding that rentals in the city, either that be St. Paul or Minneapolis were so expensive. (laughs) Um, You know, 1600, 1400, um, eighteen hundred at times for these rental spaces, and it was we were we were looking at houses mostly, um, just for more space, and um, it just kind of had more that we wanted, and again, we were in this mindset of we had just paid six months of very very cheap rent, then we were living four months of very very cheap, well, no rent at all. How are we supposed to justify paying all this money, <laughs> um, and rent again? When that basically is a mortgage, right? So we were like, okay, maybe we should look into houses, question mark. And at this point, like home buying was never ever in my mind even an option because I had not known anyone growing up who had bought a home. And I had lived my entire life in apartments, my you know, single mom living in apartments, and she had never once um, even mentioned wanting a home. Either. So I just, it never was really something that I thought could be afforded to me especially on my graduate school salary, like it just, it didn't seem like something. <laughs> but at the same time, when we were living with um, John's parents, we had, you know, two friends who had just either recently purchased homes or had, were in the process of purchasing homes and talking to them, they were like, yeah, like it actually is more feasible than you might imagine. And then also I had a friend, um, Farah, who she had also bought a home while in graduate school and similar financial situation as me, you know, had been on fellowship and was able to purchase a home. And so I was like, huh, maybe it is actually more feasible than we think. And so to put that <laughs> theory to the test, John and I went to a financial advisor um, through my job, I actually was able to have a free session with two financial advisors and kind of talk about whatever I wanted to. And so I was able to bring John, John with me. And we met with two people from, um, they, they were financial advisors actually based in on the East Coast, I think in New Jersey, either that or New York. And so we kind of laid out all of our finances to these people. So financial wise, John and I at the time had saved in, I would say like, Liquid assets, we had about mm, $22,000. And then in like, um, what's it called? What's that word I'm looking for? Non-liquid, which sounds silly, but like in stocks and things like that, had about six to 8,000. So altogether around $30,000 that we could, you know, we wouldn't have wanted to use all that money because it was all of our savings together. Um, but some of it. And yeah, I will say a majority of that was because of the fellowship that I received. So that was like it put us in a very, very good spot to have a good amount of money to work with. So we get there, we talk to these financial advisors, we say, Hey, we have this much money, we're looking for this much house. And we they kind of asked us to lay out all of our our loans, all of our basically all of our assets, all of our our net worth type things, and if we had retirement, da-da-da. And one thing that's very, very cool and fun for a graduate student is that we don't get retirement, which I'm obviously being sarcastic because that's fucking awful, especially if you are in graduate school for years and you can't have retirement. Um, so I actually hadn't at this point had any retirement. I didn't have like a Roth IRA or anything. So that was something that they kind of were like, huh, you probably should have, start thinking about retirement before you think about a house. And basically, they were like, you guys should wait like a year and a year or two to buy a house because, yeah, like thirty thousand, pretty cool. But you want to put twenty um, percent down, and if you're buying a house, like you should have at least like forty to fifty thousand dollars saved. So we left that meeting feeling confused and feeling discouraged. Confused because we had friends who had also had about thirty thousand and. Um, were able to buy these houses and so we were like huh and we were confused or I guess um, I don't remember what the other word I used was but we were also just um, a bit frustrated because um, the numbers that they were giving us were very conservative and it was kind of antiquated because in this market that we would find out is that putting 20% down which was a very common thing back in the day isn't that common anymore because it, who had, who has that type of money, right? To put 20,000 or sorry, put 20% of a home down. So honestly, after that meeting, it kind of left us feeling like, fuck those guys, <laughs> which like, why would I say that about financial advisors who know more than me? But it, we also were like, they're coming from the East coast, you know, they where prices are astronomical. We're living in Twin Cities where things are still so fucking expensive, but more manageable. And we know that like our money can go further than on the East Coast, obviously. Like, we could never buy anything on the East Coast with 30,000, but like here in Twin Cities, maybe that's more manageable. So that's kind of how we were operating. <laughs> and this is all, I should, I should mention when this is happening. So this is all happening in June of 2022. So then one day I am cat sitting. So also I should mention that John and I, again, very, very lucky because we were getting antsy in the cities and two of our friends were actually leaving for um, a trip abroad for two months. And they were like, hey, we have cats and we live in the city. Do you want to house sit for us or cat sit for us? Basically, in exchange for rent, you can stay here for free and you just watch our cats and make sure they are taken care of. And we were like, this is perfect because we wanna leave the suburbs. We still don't wanna pay rent and we wanna go into the cities and figure out kind of our shit while we're there. So we were able to move to the cities. And again, so, so lucky to have this opportunity to still be living rent free for, at this point it was six months. Um, so yeah, very, very lucky. So when we were there, One week I was cat sitting and John was up north with his family and yeah, he basically was like, he sent me this listing on Zillow um, and he was like, what do you think? And I was like, it's so cute. Basically at this point we had been looking at, um, I mean, we were doing the casual thing that I feel like a lot of people do where they just look zillow at house listings and they kind of dream (laughs) without actually doing anything with it so john just would we would send each other back and forth like listings all the time so he sent me one and i was like this is very very cute and yeah it's awesome and he was like basically at this point you know he was like should we just like try to see it and at this point, we're kind of like, "Fuck it, why not?" Like, what do we what do we have to lose? You know, we can go look at it, see it. Like, you know, it doesn't mean we have to buy it. Like, we'll just see what's going on out there. So, this was on. Um, let's see. I think this was on June sixteenth. So, John requested a tour on Zillow, and right away he was. Um, he got a call from a realtor, um, and he was kind of like the realtor was like hey you know um I'm Ryan I'll be the person who shows you the house like tell me what you're looking for in a house basically and at, I mean at this point John and I didn't really we weren't serious about looking at houses so we didn't really know <laughs> but he kind of just fibbed his way through and was like maybe a two-bedroom blah, blah blah this and that and the guy was like cool when you get, you know, let's set up a tour basically. So then two days later, when John was back in um, the cities, we saw the house and it was our first house looking experience. And we really, the house itself like wasn't right for us. Um, There's a lot of work that needed to be done, but it was really fun and the realtor was cool. Um, so we were like, oh wow. And he told us at the very end, you know, he could tell that it wasn't the right house for us, which sounds like so silly. Like how, how could he tell it was because there was a lot of, um, foundational work that needed to be done. And also in the, in the, in the, whatever, who cares? (laughs) He could tell, um, it just wasn't, wasn't it. But basically at the very end, he was like, you know, if you're, it seems like you guys are at the very, very beginning of this house looking process. If you want to talk to each other figure out more like a refined idea of what you're looking for, then tell me, I'll then send you listings and we can go and look at some houses together. It was very, very low stakes. Like it wasn't like, you know, here's my card, here's the, it was just very like, yeah, if you want to do this thing, let me know, see you later. And we were like, cool. (laughs) And then also actually the same day, John and I went and we looked at, uh, we went to an open house actually, um, of a place close by that we saw. And this place was so, so cute. And it was much more our speed, but also much more not in our price range. And um, at this point, we still didn't know what our price range was, but we were looking, I guess, I mean, that house that we looked at, that was the open house was around 275000 I think. And the house that we looked at with, uh, the, the, with the realtor was, I believe, and like forty or $50,000. So the range was pretty high. <laughs> um, we didn't know what we were looking for, what we could afford. So yeah. Um, after that, John and I were like, are we doing it? Like, are we going to start looking at houses? And we did. <laughs> we really did. So after that as well, our realtor, the person who showed us the first house, um, he was like, hey, also it might be helpful to see kind of more where you're at financially. Like I'll set you up with a call with my lender Um, and you can discuss your finances and how much you can be approved for because essentially when you're buying a house, it really is important to get pre-approved for a certain amount of money before you even really start looking um, at houses because then it makes the process so much easier when it comes to like finding a house you like then being able to say to the you know the, the seller, like, hey, this client is already pre-approved for this much money, so they're kind of good for it, is kind of the, the feeling of it. So we were like, sure, let's do it. So, and I will say, I'm gonna also talk about the mistakes we made during the process, um, but I'll, I'll wait to tell you that until a little bit later, our first, our first mistake. But basically, we set up a meeting with the lender for about 30 minutes, and we just kind of were like, hey, this is what we have and one thing we really liked about this person was that we told him how much money we had and then he was like, okay, cool well, is this all the money you're willing to spend on this house And we were like, no <laughs> like this is all of our basically life savings and he was like, okay cool but let's not touch all of it then Let's be real realistic about how much you actually want to put down and how much house then that means you can get. So yeah, he really worked with us t- to make sure that we weren't going to be spending all of our money. <laughs> so thinking about putting, instead of putting 20% down, which is really hard. So just to be like, if you're wondering like how much 20, 20, 20% down would be. So if a house was worth $260,000, that would mean that we would put $52,000 down in cash right away, which we didn't have obviously. Um, so we never ha- could have been able to put 20% down on anything. And he knew that we knew that like going into it. So he was really like, well, how about 3% down? Like, could you do that? And we were just kind of um, working through scenarios with our money to make sure that we were able to, you know, not put too much down. <laughs> so Um, after that conversation, he basically was like, yeah, this is how much it could be. How about you send me, you know, all of your kind of materials back. And, um, at that point we had to send down, I don't know, like, um, a ton of different documents, like our, our work history, our W-2s, like all the kind of basically, I think some of our taxes from the last year or two as well. And then, um, basically pretty much right away, we were um, approved for a loan. I believe the amount we were approved for was, I wanna say like 275,000 or something like that. And also an important thing to note is that you can be pre-approved for you know a large amount of money. Doesn't mean you can or should get a house that's that, that, that is that much money. And this is something that John and I figured out very soon, and I will talk about that as well. So, okay, big mistake that, or may not mistake, but big thing that I should note here is that one thing that you should do when you are looking for a house is shop around for the people who are helping you look for a house or get you a house. So shopping around for a realtor, shopping around for a loan processor, all these people or a or lender whatever like it's important to shop around because why settle for the first person when maybe that they're not right for you so John and I when we first met our realtor you know we were he was okay we didn't know much about what to look for in a realtor he seemed fine and at that point too we were like we don't like it just seems like too much work to shop around and um, you know again with the with the lender as well like Lender is, I would say, even maybe even more important than the realtor because it's their job to get you the best rate for the the best rate for your house. And so, you know, shopping around to make sure that you're getting the best rate is so, so important. But also for us, something that was not, I don't know, but equally important, but really important for us was that the realtor and our lender could work together very well. Because when you're buying a house, what's something that we found out is that it moves so fast i mean this market isn't as intense as it was like a year ago but it still was moving really fast and so you want to make sure that your lender and your realtor are speaking to each other and are able to work together very quickly so in this situation we were like well our realtor this person that we're fine with he knows someone who he really trusts and they can Work together fast, that's kind of important to us. So we just stuck with the first people that we talked to, which is yeah, I would say maybe not do that. If you're not feeling your realtor, you're not feeling your lender, look around. There's no harm in looking around. And it's so important to make sure that you are comfortable with the people, especially I think to you with the lender, making sure that you know exactly what the fuck is going on. Because especially if you're a first time home buyer, like. This is in someone who doesn't have the um, the financial literacy to know about these terms. Like it's so important to have someone who will walk, <clears throat> excuse me, who will walk you through this process and explain to you every little thing without making you feel dumb. And that was really helpful because like for me, I came to every meeting with the lender with all these questions, like what the fuck is escrow? (laughs) What the fuck is this and that? And he explained it really, really well and he was really supportive and didn't make me feel, or John, feel dumb. So that was important to us. So yeah, after we got pre-approved, it kind of was like, okay, now let's do the damn thing and look at these houses. And so basically every day, our realtor would send um, John and I via email, houses that were in our price range. So like 275-ish range and um, then we would schedule tours with it. So the first go around that we were really serious about looking for houses, this was the last sort of weeks of June. We um, favorited about five homes in the um, Twin Cities area. So we're looking both in St. Paul and in Minneapolis. And I guess at this time I can explain what John and I were were looking for in a house. We, We wanted a house that had Um, Minimum two bedrooms, because like I said before, we were both working from home, so that was really important to us. We also wanted a house that had central air, if we could get it, because that was important to us as well. And we wanted one full bath, preferably one and a half baths would have been perfect for us, but we were also comfortable with just one bathroom. What else we wanted? We wanted a bit of a backyard as well, in a fence-in backyard, so that we eventually can get a dog. That was also very important to us to have that opportunity. And then as well, you know, thinking more like things that we didn't need, but we wanted were um, either having in in the backyard, like um, patio that we could grill out on, entertain on, or having a porch as well um, would be really nice. So just having, spaces to um, be with friends and things like that. And also something that we didn't want was um, carpet throughout the entire house. That was something that we really didn't want. And then as well, aesthetic wise, we were into more of old houses with character. So that's what we're going into. And thankfully for us, when we were looking at um, one of the houses, it was very, very close to our friend, Mary Grace and Sam's house. And Mary Grace was also someone who I was looking towards often for advice because she is in my graduate school program. So it was important to ask questions that concern graduate students that might have when it comes to buying a house. And she just really helped to, to um, walk through the process. And I will say that it, all the people I'm mentioning throughout this this episode that you know, I was talking to, it was so, so, so helpful. And they also were all very forthright about their finances, which really, really helped as well. And that's kind of why I wanted to be so upfront about my finances as a show like, hey, the numbers are so important. Obviously it's different for everyone, but it really is helpful to see like how much I'm working with and that might help you say, oh, maybe I could also afford a house. So this was the first go around with like, kind of being more serious. And for one of the houses I was very close to Mary Grace's. And I was like, Mary Grace, can you come to this house with us and not only sets out the house but also sess out our realtor or potential realtor at this point because we didn't know if we should go with him and Mary Grace is from New York and she's she'll tell you she'll tell you how it is basically so I was like I need you to tell me what's up with this guy and also it was really helpful because she was able to I mean we didn't know what to ask really to or to what what, what to look for in houses as well so it was helpful seeing how she approached the house and so we went to the first house walked through with her and the realtor and she was pointing out things that we wouldn't have even noticed really so um, and this house wasn't right for us as well there's carpet everywhere and um, just it wasn't um, the right space and at the very end she texted me being like your realtor is fine he will work he knows what to do he seems like he has your interest your best interest in mind go with him if you feel comfortable. And after hearing that, we were like, great, cool, cool. Let's move on. (laughs) So then after looking at that house, we saw another house and we fell in love with this house. (laughs) It kind of checked off all of the boxes. So it was in this very nice neighborhood in St. Paul. It had two bedrooms upstairs, one bedroom downstairs, had amazing natural light, had um, this huge kitchen had an outdoor space that was fully fenced in and had um a patio as well and in the front actually had a front porch and we were like holy crap this house it seems perfect it was also listed at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which was under what we were thinking about because you know we were approved for 275 and it also was that was the first day it was on the on the market so we were like "Fuck yeah this house is awesome but we didn't want to fall in love with it so <laughs> Because, you know, anything can happen. So we moved on because we had more houses to see that day. So we moved on and we went to the next house, which it was fine. <laughs> um, didn't love it as much, but um, yeah, actually that day as well, we didn't love any of the other ones really. We But we were really stuck on the second house that we saw. We were like, this house is awesome. And we were talking to our realtor and he was like, How awesome is it? Like, is it awesome enough to put an offer on? Like, could you see yourself living there? And honestly, John and I really could. Like, it just felt so much like a place that we could see ourselves living. I think as well, a big part of that was that we could tell that the people who lived there before were very young and had decorated the home in a, a way that was so aesthetically pleasing and something that we, like, kind of like our style, that we could see ourselves living in really easily. Like, it made it really easy to see me and him in that house. <laughs> and it was close to everything. And I guess a big thing too, another one of our like big things was that I wanted, we both wanted a place that um, had really good access to public transportation um, because I frequent it a lot. I use it a lot and it was important to, for it to be close to the university. So if I needed to go to campus, I could just easily hop on um, you know, the train or um, a bus and get there. So yeah, it was in the perfect neighborhood to go just to campus and um, it just marked all the boxes. And so because this house was just listed, we were like, why not put an offer on? So this was the first house we put an offer on. And yeah, basically um, when we were getting ready to make an offer, our, because no one else had put one on, our, our realtor's sort of his method what that he used throughout this process was if no one has put an offer on the house let's go low lower than it's it's being asked for so I think we probably were starting to think about maybe asking for like 240 and then also because no one else put an offer on it wasn't as competitive at that point so let's have them pay the closing fees let's have them let's off let's ask for an, an inspection of the house and then that's kind of those types of things. So um, we were kind of asking for more than if, let's say there was another offer. So basically after we met with our realtor, he was like, I'm gonna go back to the office, start writing up this purchase agreement, which basically states what our offer is and then you sign it. I I then send it to the seller. They talk to their client about it and see if they're wanting to buy the house. So when we're back at home, We get, uh, I think, a call or a text from our realtor, and he is like, "Actually, there's another offer on the line, so now we have to go more competitively and think about something else." So to make our offer competitive, and at this point, like, I'm gonna tell you guys, like, when you're doing this like counteroffer shit and like competitive offer things, it feels like you're playing. Like you're playing, you're gambling basically, which you are, you're fucking gambling with thousands of dollars, but it doesn't feel real at this point. So we were trying to be as competitive as possible. (laughs) So we decided to offer $275,000 and remind you that the house was listed at 250 and we would pay closing costs. And closing costs we had, you know, um, found through like doing different Estimates with the lender was that closing costs for us would be probably around like six to eight thousand dollars. So we we're willing to do two seventy five and then closing costs. And then also just to note, closing costs are is the money that is liquid, so you pay it up front, and then two well not up front up front but you you'd pay it in cash essentially. And the two seventy five is the loan, so you wouldn't pay obviously all of that out. Um, and we also we're still asking for an inspection, basically. So that was all, I think this was on Sunday that we put in the offer. That Monday morning, we get a text from our realtor and he basically was like, they went with the other offer and it was a very similar price as your guys' is, 275, but the difference is that they waived the inspection. So they were comfortable buying the house without the inspection and they also offered a rent back option a rent back option basically means that um you buy the house and let's say the people don't want to like let's say you buy the house in july and they um don't want to move out right away you can then rent the house to them for like let's say another month and then you move in in like september or something like that so they offered that and they also offered um, an appraisal gap. Basically an appraisal gap is that when you're buying a house, you have to get your house appraised to see if, it's, if what the house is actually worth. So let's say your house is listed at 275, then someone comes in and appraises it. And let's say it appraises for 280 instead of 275. The appraisal gap means that the person who's buying the house would pay the difference between the 275 and 280. So that's $5,000 difference. Um, And this is something that's very common that people had been doing and mostly I would say 2020 um, and 2021 was because the market was so, so competitive that they were waiving um, inspection and doing the appraisal gap. So for John and I, a non-negotiable was really the inspection because we were looking into old houses and we knew that old houses mean there can be issues. Let's not waive um, the inspection. Also, when it comes to the appraisal gap, we were not willing to do that as well because we had friends who had done that and then had to pay $15,000 out of pocket, like right away. And that was really scary to us. Um, And we didn't have that money either. So we were like, no way. And then also with rent back, we didn't know that was even an option. So that was something that we would then offer as well in in later houses. So yeah, this was really sad. We really loved this house. But it also was a really, really good lesson um, in negotiating and seeing sort of what we were comfortable with and not comfortable with. So then the next day, our realtor messaged us and was saying that there was a house that was close by that he thought we may be interested in in um, checking out with him. So we then also had favorited another house also close by and we went to look at both of them. And so the first house we really liked, it was, pretty similar to the one that we put an offer in on. It had, you know, a three season porch in the front and had two large bedrooms. There was a really, really nice backyard. And um, yeah, it was also down the street from the first house. So it was in the same neighborhood that we liked. And then the second house we visited was so, so, so huge. It was this pre 1900s home. It had a lot of features, like very historic features. Like it had the second staircase for like the servant staircase it had a butler pantry it was honestly so 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 large and an interesting thing about this house was that it was listed for very very low I guess like not not very I mean all these houses numbers are fucking crazy but it was like I don't know like maybe two, 230 240 and the reason we found out that it was listed for so low even though the house was huge I'm talking like it, like you could get lost in this, this house. It was so, so big. It was like this, you know, this pre-Victorian-style home. Like, it was huge. It's because of the neighborhood it was in. So it was in a part of um, St. Paul that is, you know, poorer and a neighborhood that is primarily um, a, a neighborhood of color. And so because of that, those two features, it was the house was lower priced. And we found out also, I actually looked at this recently, that the house still hasn't sold So it's very interesting um, knowing that. And something that I think we would find out more is um, through this process really under, like, seeing, I guess, how houses and neighborhoods are talked about without actually saying it, um, which is all coded language for good, bad, white, non-white neighborhoods and things like that. So yeah, that's something we'll talk about more later, but, Basically, we fell in love with this one as well. And we said, hey, let's put an offer on this house. (laughs) The the first one, basically. That was similar to the one that we had put an offer on the the previous weekend. And so this house was listed at 2.59, so it was 9,000 more than the first one. And um, at that time as well, there were no offers. So like I said, what our our realtor said, you know, was always go low if there's no offers at first. And this house had been in the market for four days, so a few more days than the first house, but it, that's still very, very new. And so we were like, let's do 250 and then have them pay closing costs as well. So again, very similar situation, right as our agent was writing the offer, another offer came in. So we knew that we needed to be more competitive as well than the last time since we had just gone through this process with another house. And so although we still didn't want to compromise on some of the things that we didn't want to not have an inspection and also like the appraisal gap was a non-negotiable, we're not gonna have that, I guess. um, We made a new offer of 270 and just, to re- refresh that it was the house was listed the house was listed at 259 so we were saying let's do 270 we'll pay the closing costs we will also decrease the inspection fee time so usually for an inspection it has to happen in 7 days let's decrease it to 5 days let's offer a rent back option so that they can stay in the house if they want to and then let's also do something where we have a half non-refundable earnest money and earnest money basically is a way so when you are buying a house right away you will put up a certain amount of money. I'll I think it's two percent of what the house is worth. I have to look into that. I'll correct it if I'm wrong, but it's a way of saying that basically you're good for the money, is that you know, right this is something that I'm putting out right away. And so for us, I think our earnest money was always around like five thousand dollars. And, um, or honestly it might've been even $3,000, I don't know. But we were willing to have half of it be non-negotiable so that if we lost the house, um, or if basically if you were getting ready to buy the house and um, it fell through, you wouldn't, they would be able to keep half of the money. Whereas if you didn't do that, you get all your money back. So, and we had talked about this offer with our friend Brenna. Brenna, love you so much, hello. And um, because she is a realtor in um, New York. So we kind of were saying, hey, this offer seemed competitive. And she was like, this is a very, very competitive offer. I think you should go with it. So then a few hours later after putting in that offer, we heard back and they did not accept our our offer. And they went with the other one because again, the other offer waived the inspection and they also did an an appraisal gap. Two things we were not willing to do. So at this point we were like, okay, John, let's reassess our situation because first of all, are we actually able to afford these houses? Like, yes, we were pre-approved for two seventy five, but the big thing too is that we were putting like we were basically offering so much money on top of things as well. Um, you know, like base. You know, for the first house, our offer was like fifteen thousand over the 250, and then also on top of that, we we'd be, would be paying closing fees, which is about six to $8,000, like that's a lot of money. This offer too, we were offering so much over, how much was that? We were offering um, 11,000 over, and then also on top of that, paying the the money that the 8,000 so in closing fees, like this was a lot of money, let's reassess the situation. <laughs> and so after that, we were thinking, okay, the, neighborhood, the neighborhoods that we're looking in, first of all, at this point, Minneapolis was off the table, too expensive. Couldn't find anything we, that we could afford. So no more of that. Como area that we're looking at and St. Paul, also getting, you know, some of the houses were affordable, but the problem was they were always going over asking price, like by ten to $15,000 over, and we weren't comfortable paying that. Um, And so we decided to reassess and look at houses in a very close neighborhood, but less expensive for around, we were looking at that point, around 230 um, to 250 tops, and more on the 230, 240 side of things, because that felt more comfortable. Because we also, you know, you don't want to go house poor as well. And house poor basically means that you only have enough money to pay your mortgage. And yeah, then you're strapped at the end. And how how we were looking with the other houses, if we were to have gotten accepted, we would have been house poor, no doubt, because it was just too much money. Um, and that's a big, big lesson for us is that thank goodness we did not get approved for those two houses because no, it wouldn't have worked. And um That's the problem with this whole process is that it feels so fake. Like you're just playing with Monopoly money and you're just making these offers. And it's honestly, it's fun too. You get this kind of adrenaline rush when you're um, making these counter offers and all this stuff. And it just, it feels like a fun process, but you have to remember at the end of the day that this is your money and it's a lot of fucking money that you are getting. And so I think the big thing for us, like a good lesson for anyone who's looking for houses is... When it comes to how much money you are willing to um, to work with, and you're like looking for a house, make sure that the high end also accounts for negotiation. Because obviously the market is really weird right now with like inflation, you know, COVID still kind of affecting the market. But it's really important to make sure that you do account for like going over and asking price when you're making your offer to be as competitive as possible. So when you are thinking about how much money you're willing to spend, make sure that is also into account. because for us, yes, we were willing, you know we had 275 to be approved for, um, but we weren't really accounting for negotiations and the closing fees and all this other stuff that would have made it so much more expensive. And so that's when we had to really readjust, and that's totally fine. I think throughout the process it's important to readjust and rethink about how much you're actually willing to pay and what actually is important to you as well when it comes to like where you wanna live. So after that, this was um, the first week of um, July, which is July-, July 4th weekend actually. We were like, let's look at more houses. Let's do the damn thing. So it was July 2nd and we had looked, we had favorited five houses or so um, that we wanted to look at in a neighborhood that was fairly close to the first, um, you know, ones that we had put offers in on, but um, a little bit further back. So, and it was funny too, because all of the first four houses were in walking distance from one another, literally like we could have walked to every single house. It was raining, so we didn't, but we could have, like it was very, very funny. This neighborhood that we were looking in was really cool because it was really close to the Metro light rail. So, you know, public transport, accessible, and it was much more in our price range. All the houses we were looking for were about $240. So it just felt more comfortable um, financially for us. And first house we looked at, we really liked the size and the feel of it. It had really great wood detail and it it was very large as well but we could tell that there had been water leaks before there was a really huge hole in the ceiling actually in the kitchen and in the living room and it also was it felt very like humid and moist in the basement which is not never good you don't want a moist basement that is a problem for mold so then the next house we were looking at was really nice as well but it was very small and um This house didn't have central AC, which would have been, I mean, in that moment, it was really hot and it would have been really, really hot in like the dead heat of the summer. So we were like, I don't know about this. And it also for the price and the size, it just didn't feel like it was worth it. And the third place we went to, we couldn't actually get into the house because the key didn't work. And something else that I didn't mention, but another thing that was kind of funny was that uh, in another situation when we were trying to get into a house earlier, um, the previous realtor had actually kept the key and forgot to put it back in the lockbox. So that's something that happens kind of all the time, <laughs> it seems. But, um, yeah, so that, that didn't work. And, you know, when house didn't work, where we couldn't actually get into the house, our realtor always was like, that means it just wasn't meant to be. And we were like, you're right. Moving on to the next one. So the next one, Was really, really cute. It's one that we were actually really excited about, the most excited about, but we're also the most suspicious about because it actually had been in the market for 31 days at that point, which is in this market a very long time. Because, you know, just to remind you, like the first house that we we were looking at that we put an offer in on had been on the market just for that day, and they were already our offer and someone else's offer. The second house we put an offer on had been on the market for four days and there was also our offer in someone else's market or someone else's offer as well. So the market was moving fairly fast, not as fast as it had been in the past where there were like dozens of offers on one house in like the first day, but still 31 days versus like four or one day was, it seemed very suspicious to us. So we were really worried about that. (laughs) Um, So we were kind of preparing not to love it. On the outside, we loved it. It was very, very cute. It was a very aesthetic house. And when we walked in, there was a three-season porch. We also loved that. The home itself was a very nice size. Um, it felt comfortable. There was central AC, good-sized living room, good-sized dining room. Kitchen was very large, decent-sized bathroom. There was a bedroom on the on the ground floor, and then a bedroom, two bedrooms on the top floors. And the top was actually a converted attic. So Good amount of space there, and um, hardwood floors all throughout the ground level. And then on the top, there was um, new, fairly new carpet. The basement felt very clean, Um, no moisture feeling in the air. Good sized backyard. There was actually a back porch as well. So it was like everything we could have ever wanted in the house. You know, fenced in yard, like, and also it was on the same street as my friend Farah. Um, which was fun too. So weird, right? We loved it. It was, it it felt too good to be true almost. And so then after that, um, we saw one last house, which was very cute, but it was really, really small, like incredibly small. You'd be in the kitchen and your butts could touch if you're facing back to, to each other. So it was just, it wasn't the vibe. So um the house that we really liked the the, the fourth house we were, that we really liked that we were um suspicious of it was listed at 239900 so just shy of 240 yeah basically because it had been on the market for so long and, they, and we were like let's let's put in an offer in this house so basically because it had been on the market for so long um our Realtor was like, let's go low, very low, 225 with them paying closing costs. But our realtor talked to the seller just to kind of suss out like if that would have worked. And the seller agent said that they were turning down the kind of the reason why it had been on the on the market so long was because it did have offers, but they were turning down anything lower than 230. Um <clears throat> and the house actually was originally listed at 250, and then they ended up lowering it to two. 40 or about because it wasn't selling. So we we're like okay, let's scrap the whole 225, let's offer 244 and then paying closing costs. And so we put that offer in on the second and I believe I think on the third or the fourth I don't remember we were our offer was accepted, which was crazy. it was it was so crazy. So we were like oh my god yeah <laughs> and also in this offer we so they were paying closing costs it was 220 it was 244 and we had an inspection that we wanted as well so basically the next step was that we had to sign well we signed the purchase agreement for the house and then we had to set up times for our inspection so we scheduled an inspection for the following week the inspection was 415 dollars, and it was so the person does it themselves and then We were able to come in afterwards and he walked us through for an hour every single thing that he inspected and kind of, um, we were really nervous during this point because the house was so old. It was built, I think in 1915 and because it had been on the market so long, like we were like, is there something structurally wrong with it? And so while yes, there were some, um, you know, important things that we have had to fix. Our the inspector was like, I would tell you if this house was unsafe or if it wasn't worth it and this house is completely fine and worth it. Like you should still go along with it basically. <laughs> so then we're like, okay, great. So then we paid the earnest money for the house and our earnest money was $2,500 and um, also plus a $5 processing fee for the earnest money. And like I said before, the earnest money was to, sh- to say basically that we were good for the money. <laughs> And then we took um, a home buyer's class, actually. I don't know if this is common for everyone, but for our through our lender, we actually were required to take a home buying class, and the class was $75 and then also a $5 processing fee. So after all of that, our realtor read over our inspection report, and he then made suggestions on our final purchase agreement, because basically after the inspection, then you're able to adjust the offer that you're willing, that you're trying to make for your... Um, for the the seller because if there's anything that's like needs to be fixed you can put put that into the next um thing. So from July 8th through the 9th, and mind you we had looked at the house on the 2nd, so this is all moving very very fast. <laughs> um we amended the the um our asking price basically. So we lowered our asking price from 244 to 242. We then also wanted them to clean the furnace and do a couple other of things um, that seemed like it would be important from the inspection. And then they um, counter-offered and in their counter-offer, they rejected all the fixes that we had had asked them to do, but changed the price from 244 to 242, which is great because that's what we um, agreed on. And they were still going to, um, to pay the, the closing costs. So then after that, we decided to counter counteroffer <laughs> and we um, countered at 240 with no fixes at all. And I I'll I will tell you, this process was very, very stressful because I was like, what if they are insulted by our counter offer and they don't wanna take it anymore? Like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And lucky for us, they accepted our counteroffer at 240 no fixes, they pay the closing fees. So just to review the process as a whole, they had originally listed their house around 250 ish It wasn't selling, um, so they lowered it to $239,900, so just shy of 240 We originally offered 244 with closing fees. They accepted, we had our inspection, we lowered it from 244 to $242 within... Um, fixing a couple things and also still paying closing fees, they rejected. They counter offered at two forty two with no fixes. We counter offered at two forty no fixes. So it, it was a I would say a very fast negotiation, but and also at the very end, like it worked out perfectly for us. Like two forty was the perfect amount for us. So after that, the next steps was that we had a call with our lender to discuss our disclosures. Um, and the disclosures are basically, I don't know, just like all these fucking documents talking about like the, the loan, the agreement, like how long you would have the loan for, da, 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 like making sure that like all of your financial history basically and all this stuff. We also had to fill out some additional paperwork to explain work gaps and addresses for our underwriter. And the underwriter is the person who will write the loan for you. And then we had to sign paperwork also for the title of the home. And the title is basically saying that you own this home. So then on the 10th of July, we talked to our the lender and talked through different scenarios about like the amount of money. And something that I guess I didn't know is that like I always thought that in this process, like you basically, when you are putting out a certain amount of money, like like let's say, cause like we were pre-approved for 275, like you kind of have, I thought you had to kind of stick with that, but we are finding that throughout this process, there are, there's so much room to change your mind about how much you're willing to put down, because at the end of the day, you're still pre-approved for this amount of money, but it doesn't mean that you have to actually, well one, buy a house that's at 275, like we obviously didn't, ours is at 240, And then two, they actually have to um, put down like the same percentage that you're thinking of. So yeah, we're just going back and forth and things like that. And so um, we kind of were thinking about, okay, so our house is 240. What if we put down, what what if we're willing to put like 14,500, including the 2,500 interest money, just seeing what would be comfortable for us. After all this, let's see, da, 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 we talked through a lot of stuff. And then the big thing that happened for me, um, okay, so then I'm, I'm skipping ahead. Basically, we walked through all these different scenarios with our lender, settled on something that we we're comfortable with. Um, then our lender ordered the appraisal and the title. Um, and basically, the appraisal, like I said, is like someone comes in and sees how much your house is worth we were also very nervous about that because we were worried that like, let's say the house was worth 230 and we had put in an offer at 240, we would have had to pay that 10, well, no, we didn't put an appraisal gap in so we wouldn't have had to necessarily pay the $10,000, but we would have had to renegotiate to figure out how that $10,000 would have been paid. So either like maybe we pay half and the seller pays half or something like that. So that was something that we were really, really nervous about. And also, um, I didn't know this beforehand, but if let's say the house was, we were, you know, getting it at 240 and the house was worth 250, you don't have to pay the difference if the house appraises for more. It's only if the house appraises for under what you are paying. So the big thing with me is that on the 15th of July, I was actually at a friend's cabin and I got a call from our um, lender and he was like, we got to talk like, So in this process, he and his team were reaching out to all of our employers and just confirming our employment because that is important when it comes to buying a very large loan. So he reached out to my market analyst company, whatever, and for that company, I was an intern. So yes, I have employment, but it looks weird because I'm not like, I don't have like full benefits and it's not, it's temporary position. So it kind of is weird. Then with my school, which I'm obviously a student first kind of thing I have, that's like my permanent situation. He calls them and he's like, hey, can you confirm that that Karen is an employee of the university? And they were like, hey, because Karen is on fellowship right now, And remember, I was on that $33,000 fellowship. And that was until the very end of August of 2022. They were like, because she's on fellowship, it's basically considered a scholarship. And because of that, we cannot confirm that she is an employee of the university. She's just on scholarship this year. And (laughs) obviously that doesn't work out because then it looks like I don't have any money at all. Like I'm an intern. I'm on scholarship. Where is this money coming from? Are um my lender was like we gotta figure out how to figure you know make this different and this is something that is very very common in graduate school so if you're a student listening to this this is very common i had a lot of my friends talking about this and that's why it's really important to make sure that you're beforehand really you talk to your lender about this and tell them like it's gonna look fishy like my my income is gonna look weird so then, they are prepared to work with you and to have additional paperwork to support your your situation. So basically, I then um, frantically emailed, or frantically called my advisor for advice. He told me to email the head of my department and the graduates, the head of the, basically two people from my department who were the heads, to get them to write a letter explaining the employment process for graduate students and also um, basically backing me up saying she is an employee. Because the problem with graduate school is that it always looks fishy because we are always on appointments year after year, which makes it look like we don't have stable income. But then again, thinking about this, isn't everyone always on quote-unquote appointment because you could get fired at any point, right, in your career. So a graduate student actually is the most secure position because it's like it's a a year-long contract no matter what and I mean of course you could probably get fired but it's much much harder and less like there's more security in that knowing that you have at least a year of income versus like I can get fired at any point in any other like corporate job. Anyways, so I get them to write this letter for me. I send it to my lender and then I also took the liberty of going through every single appointment contract that I've ever had since the very, very beginning of my graduate school and sending it all over. So just showing that like I have this consistent amount of employee employment through the university and it is just like, it looks weird because every year it changes, but it's here. And yeah, anyways. So I sent all that in and then on the 19th of July um, our realtor texted us saying that the house appraised with no work orders which was awesome. So basically we didn't have to pay anything in addition it, it was it was worth 240 and we had offered and paid 240 so that was really really cool. So after that we needed to um, send in a couple of more forms we needed to sign some more things. And then, yeah, I don't know, I, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but um I'll kind of skip over some of this stuff because it's kind of boring, just like documents were all in. Um You know, we had to talk to like insurance, home insurance, get a, a policy report to make sure because we had to be employed, like had have homeowners insurance the entire time. After that, had to get approved for our loan. That was the big thing that was the last step was getting approved. So making sure that all the paperwork that I had sent in and John sent in was enough to then get us approved for this amount. So then, yeah, on the 27th of July, we were told that we had been approved um, and all we had to do was then wait for our closing. And at that point, so basically once we had signed like our purchase agreement a long time ago when we were negotiating and things like that, in that agreement, we wanted to move in a month afterwards basically because you can decide if you want to move in a month after 45 days after 90 days like whatever works for you kind of and we wanted to move as soon as possible because like I mentioned before we were house sitting um in the cities and that was only for two months so we wanted to make sure that we kind of had the perfect amount of time to then move into our house and not have a gap where we had to find housing. And so our um, approval date, like our the date that we wanted to move in was the 2nd of August. And so during this process in July, when we were waiting to hear back to see if we got approved, like it was really stressful because like there were so many days we were waiting and we were like, we are almost at closing. Like what if we don't close? Like it was just a lot of what ifs. But we did end up closing on the second. And now I will walk through exactly all of the money that we spent on this process. So like I said before, first thing we ever spent was earnest money. That was $2,505 with the $5 processing fee. And just to remind you, because I said before that I might get this wrong, earnest money is about 1.02% of the entire loan. So. Um, And that's something that you always have to sort of put up front um, as good faith money for home buying. So that's what we put down for our home. Our inspection fee was 415. The home buying class was 80 with the $5 processing fee. Our appraisal fee was $585 for the making sure that the house was worth what it was. The cash to close, so this is what the big amount that we had to put forth was and our cash to close was $11,279.90. At the end of the day, altogether, the cash that we had to pay for this house up front was $14,865. So each of us had to pay $7,432.50. And just to let you know how much the closing fees would have been if we would have had to pay them, it was $7,000. $200 so again like for for the first two house offers we had offered in our like purchase agreement to pay those prices and so thinking about having to pay that on top of what we already were owing is a lot and so I'm very happy that we did not have to pay that. Like I said before we had about $30,000 that we were we initially like we're talking about when it came to saving for the house um and then we only ended up spending you know not even half of that like at the end of the day after that we have you know over $15,000 left in our pocket I guess I say all of that to say that like you don't have to have $30,000 even to start looking at houses you know we put down I think at, at this rate like our down payment, whatever, like all this money kind of was about like 6% down on our house. I think after hearing this and seeing our numbers, like I hope it feels a little bit more obtainable. So our mortgage is $1,791.83. And that includes our um, principal interest taxes and our home insurance. And so, yeah, that's about... Like 900 each for John and I and like like I said earlier we were looking at renting places that were about $1,800 so it was for us feasible to be able to to buy this house and I'm so so happy that we were able to and just a couple things I want to mention I know this episode is like so fucking long I'm so sorry it's it's a lot I know but Some things during the home buying process, which I think was really interesting to see, is really like being able to see the effects of like gentrification and even redlining like happening in real time. Like for example, like I said before, like one of the houses that we looked at was this huge Victorian house and it was, yeah, it was so, so large and huge and Really well kept inside, da da da. But because it was in a quote unquote bad neighborhood, it wasn't selling. And by bad, you know, that word can be taken in so many ways, but it really is a racialized term. And that's something that we would see oftentimes too was that, um, depending on what side of the river you were on, you were entering into more of these. Uh, Primarily neighborhoods of color, and for example, like we had looked at a house, another house that was like very similar Victorian style had the butler staircase, which in general, like, let's talk about the butler staircase or the butler pantry and like the servant staircase, like these remnants of like these racist and colonial past. But anyways, in this other house we were looking at, that was also this this large Victorian house. It was it was fucking huge. This house was huge. The people who had lived in it were this young white couple. The house was like, it it felt like walking into Target, basically, it was very live, laugh, lovey, kind of. (laughs) Um, And it was, you could tell that the people there had put in a lot of work in the house. And I think it was listed at like 270 or something. And I think I just checked and it had sold for like, probably, I mean, no, I think it was like 300 or 330 or something. But that really changes the neighborhood as well. Like the neighborhood we could tell was a, a neighborhood that was primarily a neighborhood of color. And you could see in real time sort of how gentrification was working with these people buying this house and changing it so much that it was listing over, over asking price and over what I'm assuming a lot of the other houses were, were listed at or what people could afford to pay who had been living in the neighborhood for a long time and something else that was interesting too at you know going to like an open house um and seeing the different people who are there is seeing too that there that a lot of the time as well investors are buying up these houses and flipping them or um having them be um rental properties or whatever. And that also makes it really impossible to buy houses. And actually, you know, John and I have been living in our house for about a month now. I think we just reached the month threshold like two days ago or something like that. And in that month, we already had someone come to our house and ask if we wanted to sell our house. And so it just feels very predatory, these investors, it's predatory and unfair really just fucked up how these investors are coming in and really making it feel impossible for people who are, you know, in their late 20s, early 20s, 30s, whatever the age may be to buy these houses. And so that's something that was an interesting thing to see in real time, just how gentrification was working. (laughs) And um, yeah, and that's something to be aware of in the home buying process. Another thing that was hard to reconcile with as well was just like, what does it mean to own land and to own property on indigenous land? And as a non-indigenous person, is it right to own quote unquote land, um and property? And thinking about ownership and land ownership and property and how that that even the, that word changes so much has changed so much over time as well. Like back in the day, property and ownership was seen in slavery and ownership of people and what does it mean as a black woman as well to um, to be able to afford, you know quote unquote property. And I don't know, I'm still kind of working through some of some of what this means to me. <clears throat> for me personally, ownership as a concept is colonial and you know um, it's best in so much whiteness and the best way to kind of for me to reconcile with being and having this house is to as much as possible, to regenerate the land that that we're living on, taking, taking care of it basically. And so what does that look like for us? It looks like being able to create pollinator gardens in the front and to create gardens where we're able to provide food for not only ourselves, but for our neighbors and our community and to collect rainwater and to use that and to be just kind of as environmentally cautious and a steward as much as possible for the land as possible. And that's sort of a way that I feel is m- helping me to reconcile with this idea, this kind of icky idea for me of what it means uh, to quote, unquote, own something, whatever. Um, and then also to just be in conversation um, constantly with John about this, you know, especially since he is a white man as well. and um, what that means looks like and to participate in mutual aid as much as possible to participate in a cycle of care that feels right um, and feels necessary and goes against what we know of being I guess neighbors right like I don't know just I'm still working through this but I don't know I, I saw this really great um TikTok the other day of someone saying like the biggest scam in America is the idea of neighborhoods and like the, the neighbor being one who is separate from the community not being in the community and like why does every single person on a block own a fucking lawnmower if we're participating in the real idea of like neighbors and like community, it would be that one person had a lawnmower and everyone was able to use it. So like this idea of mutual aid and community is something that I really, really want to take up seriously. And I think that's the best way to really reconcile with okay, yes, on paper it says I own this land. Obviously I do not. I am only a steward of this land and to best serve This land and this community, I must give back and regenerate what I have and also do things like this, make a podcast where I'm talking about and sharing the knowledge that I have gained over time with this home um, to other people, because that's the only way that we can to grow and to be a part of community is by sharing and redistributing our resources. Anyways, I've been talking for so, so long. Um, Next episode will be me and Siri again. And thank you so much for listening. And yeah, uh, like always, we appreciate you. I appreciate you. And I know others do too. And check out our social media to stay up to date. Until next time, bye.